Good morning. If you would, open up your Bibles. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. That's where we're at today. Verses 1 through 8. We're going to be talking about peace with God. What that means. What does it look like? What's going to be the way things work? And we're going to discover, well, peace with God is good, but it doesn't make everything easy. So, if you would, before we get going, we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to you, as we set aside all the worries, all the doubts, all the fears, all the stuff we have going, we're already planning our week, we're already maybe planning the rest of our day, what it's going to look like, looking forward to certain times and dreading others maybe. Father God, help us to set that all aside right now. Set before your word in a community of brothers and sisters as we pour over what you said. Help us. Help us to calm our hearts and our souls. And Holy Spirit, that you would whisper to us, speak to us, train us, teach us in your ways. And help us to better and clearer look and represent Christ in all that we do. And to keep our focus on God. Thank you. We praise you. In Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Uh, Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 8. That's where we're at today. Peace with God. I'm going to start with verse 1. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's where we're at today. Now, that's a lot. There's a lot there. I'm going to try to take our time. We're going to try to go through this. But to start it all off, i got to tell you a story. Now, uh, in our family, one of the big things or one of the big deals uh, for us was uh, my dad always had hunting dogs. Uh, before before we were there, him and my mom, they had like five hunting dogs. And my dad was big, big into pheasant hunting, big into rabbit hunting. He loved to do those kind of things. And so whenever he got a dog, the dog's purpose, not only to be a good dog, a good companion, but was to hunt. And I got old enough where I kind of thought I needed a dog. And my dad said, oh, great, you know, we can pick out a dog and maybe we can look into something, you know, get you a nice lab or something like that. And uh, I was seven. And before he could really get down a good plan, my grandmother's dog had puppies. And it was this half husky, half other stuff, kind of a muddy kind of a dog. And I fell in love with the fattest one. It was Rotun. And before you knew it, it was at our house. And my dad came home one day and he goes, you got a dog. 
Yeah, I did. And I was really excited. And I named him Max. And uh, Max lived for, well, I think he died when I was 24. So he lived for a long time. Lived for a long time. He was a good dog. And my dad's first comment was, that is not a hunting dog. You did not get a hunting dog. You got a mutt. And he was right. Max became my dog, and very much he didn't want anything to do. One, he was gun shy, which, that's a no-go. That ain't going to be a hunting dog. And we tried to break him of it several times. We tried to get him accustomed to loud noise. No, ain't going to happen. He was not a hunting dog. So, automatically, Dad saw him for what he was. He just eats my food and he doesn't do anything. And so, their relationship began that way. Every time my dad came home and Max was loose, Max made a point of hiding because my dad always loved to yell at him. And not like mean, but just loud enough that the dog got scared. He thought it was hilarious because Max would just run back to his doghouse and he'd just sit in there and look out. He was scared to death of my dad. He thought my dad hated his guts. He got to the point where my dad would start coming uh, in the truck and he would see him or hear him or whatever and that dog would run back to the doghouse every time. Didn't want anything to do with my dad. If my dad was out there and he had food, he had whatever, that dog ain't going to come to my dad. Never. Never. Well, one day, uh, when I was about 19, 20, I was, at, uh, I was in college, uh, my dad came home early from work one day. And he heard some weird sound and he went to go check on, uh, see what it was. He thought maybe Max had a coon, which uh, he is part husky, part blue healer. He had all these different things mixed in. Uh, they were really good. He really liked to kill coons. I don't know why, but that's what he liked, loved to do. When you turn him loose, he'd go find coons. It was weird. Uh, But he thought maybe that was one of those deals. So he goes over there, and lo and behold, we had a pen for Max, and we had five-foot fence. It was like cattle panel fence. And it was uh, was that old metal style, so it had all those slats or whatever. And we had that for a long time, but what happened is he actually figured out how to climb it. He would climb over the fence and get out. And so every night we'd come home, and he'd already be out. And so we kind of got wise to it, and what we did is we gave him a chain. Well, I did the chain. And it just so happened that Max had climbed up the fence like he always did, and he got to the other side, well, the chain ran out. And he's got two back paws on the ground, and he's trying to lean up on the fence to try to keep himself from choking. My dad finds him. My dad just runs over, picks him up, he unchains the dog, and uh, I get home, and I get this story, and dad's like, yeah, you're my, your, dog and my, or your dog and me are finally friends. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And he, he tells me the story. He picks Max up, takes him back over, gives him some water, and pets this dog for like two hours because Max was scared to death that he was hanging for whoever knows how long. And from that day on, they were friends. And it was weird. He'd follow my dad around. He'd always come when he came. Just all that other history stuff just completely went out the window, and this dog became just my dad's best buddy. I always thought it was weird. All he had to do was save the dog's life. That's all it took. And it just transformed everything. And here at the beginning of Romans, the first thing we see is that God says, there's peace between us. That's going to change things. So we always thought, and I think Max always thought, that my dad hated him. My dad didn't hate him. He just liked to yell at him. He thought it was funny. But here in the midst of it, we thought God hated us for the long time. We went through our lives thinking that God was all against us. Everything in our life, whenever it happened badly, was because God was punishing us. God was looking to set us in our place. 
And here at the beginning of this, he says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we always thought it was because God hated us. But it actually comes to be that we're the ones that hated God. And that through Jesus Christ, we are finally able to lay down our arms. We're able to stop the fight because the fight's only been one way. It's been us against God all the time. And here in the midst of this, Paul is saying, well, guess what? That's going to change everything from now on. Your life's going to be different from now on. Things are going to look different. If God's for you, then who could be against you? And Romans starts to flow that way at chapter 5, right when we enter in. So we want to pick it up in these three thoughts, suffering, character, and hope. So we're going to do that. We're going to start with verse 2. Through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings. Let's stop right there and take that in. Boast in our sufferings. When I think of suffering, the last thing I think of is I'm happy to be here. And this is exciting for me. And that's immediately what Paul's saying. In the midst of this suffering, we can boast in it. And it's only going to make sense, that only makes sense, if you take that previous part. God actually never hated you. He loved you. And you finally put down your arms and you're finally worshiping Christ now. And in Christ, you can know that God's always been for you. And so now when you go through these things, it's a change. We're not suffering because God's doing it to us. We're suffering because, quite frankly, the world's fallen and it's horrible. But in the midst of our suffering, God is with us, in it, through it, in the nitty gritty of it. He's right there with us because he loves us. Because the proclamation is the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's something big happening. So God has called us in the midst of this. Remember, we go through with Paul and we see very clearly in the first two chapters, if you watch that little video I posted online, you see through the first two chapters that God's called us. Right where you're at, he's called you. He's been calling people since the beginning of time right where they're at to do something amazing. And right in the midst of that, God is always saying, I will be with you. Remember one of God's names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. That does not just mean God with us as in Jesus right next to us. That means God with us as in for us. God's not on our side. We're actually on God's side. When we turn to Christ, we have a change perspective. So suffering, suffering. So all the circumstances you're going through right now, maybe you're not. Maybe you just got through with something horrible. Maybe something horrible has been going on for a while now. Maybe you're out of all that garbage and you think that life's going to be good from now on. I want to share with you a very big thing. Death and taxes, remember how people always say there's nothing, well, more true or more probable than death and taxes. And suffering. Add suffering to that. Because it's true. There will be seasons and there will be ups, there will be downs, and that's just, quite frankly, life. And so we may not be in it right now. We may not be through it. Maybe the mundane is just horribly routine and it's boring and it's agony. That can be suffering. 
We think things will never change. That's suffering. And in the midst of that, God says, but I'm for you. And Paul echoes that with, we can enjoy this and not enjoy the suffering, but enjoy what God's doing in the suffering. That's a difference. Remember, God doesn't get any pleasure from making you suffer. He gets pleasure from walking you through the suffering. Here, this is an opportunity for God to show us more of him. And this is what Paul's getting at. You are finally able, if you think God's for you, if you know that God loves you, you are finally able to see life clearly. That when you go through garbage, when stuff comes your way, that God's not doing it to you, but he's willing to walk with you through it to show you more of who he is. To show you more love. To show you how he moves in these things. Sometimes our biggest growth periods in the faith are when bad things happen. And it's not because bad things happen and that's great and grand. It's because through bad things, God is always working bigger things. And that's good. To paraphrase from Forrest Gump, life brings manure to you. But God always brings the flowers. Right? Guess what? Flowers love manure. I know that because my grandmother used to make me shovel a lot of it in the garden. When we go through that stuff, it's not good and it's not great. But what God can do through it is. That's important. He says, we boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Now, before we start, let's ask that question. What do you mean? What does that look like? Go back to Genesis and go back to Joseph. Remember, Joseph had a problem. He had a couple of problems. One, he had a lot of brothers. They didn't like him. But two, he liked to pop off at the mouth. And they got him into trouble. And the trouble, the first thing he got into trouble with was, they sold him into slavery. Because he refused to not pop off at the mouth. Okay? You read that story, you go through, that's what happens. Joseph likes to say things out loud that maybe you should keep to yourself. Like, you all one day are going to bow down to me. You all one day, even you, Father, are going to have to bow down to me. That, that gets you. That gets you hurt. And so Joseph gets sold into slavery to some Egyptians. He gets taken to Egypt. In the midst of all that, he never loses hope. He realizes there's something bigger going on. He works his way up through, becomes a jailer's most trusted assistant. And for whatever reason, his wife decides to slander Joseph and say that he had abused her sexually. He gets tossed into prison, still hasn't lost hope that God's doing something big. Years go by, and he suddenly finds himself in a position where the people he kind of saves, which he doesn't have any ability to know that they can ever pay him back, end up paying him back and getting his name to the lips of Pharaoh. And before you know it, Joseph is the second most powerful man in Egypt. And all through that story, as you read it, you see these times where Joseph's on top of the world, and then out of nowhere, life happens. He gets dug down into it all, and you think, this is where you lose hope. This is where God either has to come through, or you just, you're going to be over. You're going to die. And Joseph doesn't stop plodding along in faithfulness. He just keeps going, and it turns again. And at the end of that book, very, very end, 
his brothers finally come to him and apologize because guess what? Lo and behold, they end up do bowing down before him like his dream said. They say, Joseph, please forgive us. We treated you so evilly. We did so much evil to you. Genesis 50, verse 20. And Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God turned it and meant it for good. In the midst of our sufferings, Joseph could see it. that The sufferings aren't great and grand on their own, but they're only great and grand when God works through them. And there, in the midst of suffering, God shows us more of him as we take the focus off ourselves. That's going to be the hard part. Because when we suffer with things, when we're in the midst of trials, we're going to be very keen to focus on ourselves. Because we're going through it. We're going to have to very much fight to get it back where it needs to be, on God. So the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So even when it hurts, there He is. But where do we look? This is the character aspect. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character. If we see more of God in circumstances, we'll develop patience and endurance. If you can look at your circumstances, the suffering that you're going through, and if you can consciously focus your eyes, because you're going to have to do it consciously. It's not going to come naturally. Unfortunately, we've been raised in this world where when things happen, they're happening directly to us. Oftentimes, we like to ascribe personal intent on things, right? Uh, Let me give you a brief example. When something bad happens to you, what's the first thing you think of? Do you think, I deserve this? Sometimes we do, don't we? I should have seen this coming. I was having a good day. I've said that before. I should have seen it coming. I woke up happy. I've said that to Teresa before. I should have known something was going to break. And she says, yeah, because waking up happy is how things know when to break. She's a smart woman. Because that's stupid. Sometimes we get caught up because we think it's all about us, right? The world's either for you or against you, and most often when things bad happen to you, you think it's against you. So here in the midst of this, if we're keeping our eyes on God, God says we're going to walk through this together, and we're going to get through it, we're going to gain ground, and we're going to keep going this way, even though we go down sometimes. We're going to keep going up in that good direction. If we do that, You're going to develop endurance because you're going to start to realize that when you suffer, it's not permanent. How many times when you go through something, something serious and something horrible, you think it's never going to end? That hope in God, that whole place that we're talking about, that love of God is that reminder that all things will come to an end except for God. It's that constant reminder of no matter how bad it gets, these things are temporary. They can never be eternal. They can be temporary. And sometimes, maybe not as temporary as we'd like. But it will end. Our focus gets drawn back to this idea of endurance. You endure because you know it will come to an end. Like a really bad workout. And let me tell you, every workout's a bad workout sometimes. You think you're never going to get through it. And then when you are... Next time you do something even greater, you do something maybe even less, not as much, and you think that was a lot easier. Why? Because you can endure more. As I've learned with kids, patience. Patience grows when you deal with stuff. 
and you surprise yourself how patient you can be when your kid's licking you. What just happened? He just licked me all through a song. It was gross. Patience. So we, de- we are always developing character, though. We have this idea of character. Whenever somebody says you have a good character, usually they say good. Oftentimes, though, this is a man of character. This is a woman of character. What we mean by that is they have a good character. But the catch is, every day of your life, moment by moment, decision to decision that you make, you are developing a character. Good, bad, or muddy. You've got a character. Everything that you make, as far as decisions, behaviors, words, affects your character. Because it shows where your focus is. N.T. Wright says, you become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. So the more you focus on God, the more you will produce a Christ-like character. Because you will be reminded once again that these things are temporary. God's not. No matter what happens, God loves you and he's for you. And so these sufferings are temporal. They can never be eternal because he wouldn't do that to you. Even at the end, at death, he's not forsaked you. He's not tossed you off. You have a place. And he's never, never, ever going to be against you like that. He loves you. That's bold. Because that means that the universe really, even if it tries to go out and get you, God's always got his hand over it. And it'll never be bad. It can be bad at the time, but it'll never be bad because it'll always be turned. Always. We had a guy, um, Dr. Penn. He was a professor at our college, at our Bible college. Uh, and he was also a pastor. And when we went over to uh, Lancaster by Sigourney, that's where we went to his church. And he basically was the dad at school for all of us. Uh, he taught psychology and he taught some pastoral courses. And uh, more or less, uh, one of my buddies, he kind of more or less just adopted in as another son. And through that time that I was there, and the unique part about Bible college is when we start class, usually we start with prayer. We start with prayer requests. So we go around, we say prayer requests. And a lot of times, some of these kids, they had um, really weird prayer requests. Uh, something back home. You hear something back home. Sometimes maybe uh, your, your father left your mother. Maybe something bad happened, a tragedy. Uh, you lost a sibling or something. We would hear those in class. And in the midst of that, we'd stop before we had class, and he would talk about that. And he would give you the fatherly advice. What was going on? What was happening? How God works? How God moves? And in those brief times, you had this kind of moment where he is always taking where you want to be, where your focus is, and he's always redirecting you towards Christ. And this buddy that he more or less took in, he was just giving him the fatherly advice. And he was. He needed one. His dad wasn't around. He needed one. Dr. Penn took him in and did that, was his father, is still. And when I think about that, I thought, you know, at that time, he probably only thinks he's impacting him, my buddy. But you know what he did? My buddy would come back and we'd talk about some of the stuff that's going on, because we're friends, right? You you find out how crappy your buddy has it at home, and you want to listen. And he would tell me the advice, and you know what? That advice not only was applicable for him, but it was applicable to me. And to have somebody with such character... Christ-like character, always pointing us towards Christ, I still remember it. You get to hear about it because I remember it. That's how big this is. 
This Christ-like character will carry you through, but it also does amazing weight. It will carry other people, too. Because it will always repoint them to who they're supposed to be looking at, Christ. This is amazing that as we focus on Christ in our situations, we become patient and develop Christ-like character. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So where's our hope? What is our anchor? Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. The big thing that we're going to get caught up with and that we got to avoid is that our hope, in the midst of this verse, you're going to take this, and if you're not careful, you're going to run with it the wrong way. That our hope isn't in how much we can endure, okay? There are no prizes for being a suffering servant. And what I mean by that is to suffer for suffering's sake is not good. That's not what this is about. But at the same time, we also have this other mentality where we avoid situations that we maybe need to go through because we need to go through them because they're right to go through. We avoid them like bullets. Nobody wants to get shot, so you avoid it like bullets. And so we treat situations as if they're always to be avoided, whereas sometimes there are valleys and trails to be walked through to get somewhere else. When the things in your life come at you, and you have to go through them, there's no way around them. And what I mean by that is good decisions and everything else won't save you. Somebody's made one, or life has dealt you some, and you're in it. Don't treat it like a bullet. Treat it like a trail or a valley. It's something you walk through to get somewhere else. Sometimes it stinks. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. But it's always taking you someplace else. If, once again, we hold to the fact that God is for us and loves us. Our hope is always in that love of God. And here you get a little bit of a history lesson from Paul. Verse 6, For while we are still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, that's a history lesson about what Christ did, but it's brought back into the present because it's a relevant story now. That's part of the story now. You can do all this stuff. You can suffer through. You can endure. You can develop patience. You can develop character, and through that character, hope. Because of what Christ has done. Christ is for you. Loves you. He's bridged the gap. He's broken the walls. He's taken all, down all the barriers. He told you to drop your stuff. You're not fighting God anymore. You're now on God's side. And guess what? It's going to get better from here. Is it always going to be pleasant? Paul's the first guy to tell you. No, no, it's not. They're still going to hate you. And look at Paul's life. They might stone you. Ultimately, they'll behead you. And still God's faithful. God never leaves, never forsakes. It's interesting, when we read Paul, we think he's a really upbeat guy, and a lot of times we forget to say that he's probably in chains half the time he's writing to us about being hopeful, faithful. He's in the worst conditions you can imagine, and he's hopeful, faithful, waiting on the love of Christ, because it's always there. It reminds me a lot of my dad. Um, I'll tell this because the car story brought this up. I hit my first deer when I was 19. I 
hit it going about 90 miles an hour. Destroyed the car. Destroyed the car. And before that, my mom had another car. I decided to back that one down a ditch because I was trying to see how fast I could get the car to go backwards. Because, you know, Duke's a hazard. Uh, and I ruined the bumper and everything. My dad, after that time, said, you're really dumb, but I'm glad you're okay. I hit the deer, and he said, you're really blind, but I'm glad you're okay. Not six months later after that, I hit another deer, and he literally looked at me, and he goes, I'm not even mad anymore. Are you really blind? <laughs> and to, to, not, to let you know that he was not joking, he made me go get an eye exam. He made me get an eye exam to prove it. And guess what? I got a really good vision. I can't see colors all the time very well, like different colors, uh, especially, well, ironically, browns and blacks. Uh, there it is. That's probably why. Uh, but when he got done with that, he goes, you're not blind. And he looks, he's just looking all around. And he's like, you're just dumb. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not dumb. I just didn't see it. I'm just glad you're okay. And it wasn't a glad you're okay after the event. It's glad that your stupidity hasn't killed you yet. <laughs> He's right. He's right. And I'm still going. And ironically, the last time I hit a deer, it was to go after a girl who shall not be named, who later became my wife. See, I didn't name her. Uh, and I end up hitting the deer almost to her house. But throughout all those things, all those instances, God always shows us that he loves us and that the hope is always in him, who he is, not us. Likewise, my dad always said, no matter after all the yelling and all the comments about my intelligence, was, I'm still glad you're okay. I love you. I don't want to lose you. Be careful. Be careful. We're reminded of that, right? Like, surely God loves us. And if God loves us, no matter what happens in life, it's always meant to draw us back, not because evil things are from God, but because God uses garbage like that to make good things out of it. Life brings manure, but God's bringing the flowers. Because that's who God is. He loves us. He's for us. A life focused on Christ is Planted in the love of God that never disappoints. One of the versions of the scripture as we read it here today. He says, because God's not ashamed. That hope makes us not ashamed of what God's doing. That's good. That's a good word. So the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And as such... The world can be against us all at once. But those words of Paul that he says, if God's for us, who can be against us? That should echo in our lives, that the love of God is always pouring over us. Because he loves us. And that through that, these things can be our good, not our permanent forever. Suffering is not forever, it'll be temporary. It'll build us into the people we need to be. People who look at Christ always. Before we do our invitation hymn, please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to see this.
Help us to feel this deep in our souls and our bones to know that you love us. When the bad things come, when the troubles begin, when we're in the thick of the storm of this crazy and unpredictable life, help us to remember once again that you are who you said you are. You are Emmanuel, God with us. Right where we're at. And that you will walk us through it. You will fight for us because you love us. We don't have to fear anything. Our hope is in Christ because he's defeated all those things. We rely on that because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us our gift. God himself gives himself to us. We thank you. We praise you. Give it all to your glory and make us. Make us the people we need to be. Mold us. Shape us. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.